Hi there, your host Janika here. Welcome to the Just You podcast. If you've arrived here, there's absolutely no coincidence. It means you're ready to take control of your life story and make the narrative yours. Let's get into it. Hi, storytellers. A lovely episode today. I get the pleasure of connecting with the author, Alison Marlowe Patterson. And Alison knows stories, okay? She's had an amazing career. She was a teacher librarian for 20 years, reviewed children's literature for Magpies magazine, and published her first book, Anzac Sons, in 2014. She was the recipient of the May Gibbs Children's Literature Trust Creative Time Fellowship in 2017. Try and say that three times. (laughs) It's very hard. And now works full-time as a writer, publishing consultant, and presenter. And she writes for adults and young adults, as well as picture books and non-fiction books for children. Her knowledge around storytelling is astounding, as you will see from our chat. And when I first met Alison, I honestly like couldn't get past how much of a labor of love her book Anzac Sons was. It really stuck with me. And you're going to hear why. Like She has this incredible story of sharing the stories of her ancestors and the research and history that she had to dive in to do so. We touch on how storytelling is a major part of being a human and how leaving a legacy through storytelling can have an impact on family and relationships. Plus, as a publishing consultant, she also gives incredible advice for any storytellers out there who want to get their story over the line in traditional publishing. So definitely stick around to hear that. So many pieces in this chat and her voice is actually very soothing and lovely to listen to. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. Hello, and I'm connecting with you, Alison Marlowe Patterson. How are you today? I'm very, very well, Janika. How are you? I'm good today. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be able to chat with you this afternoon. And I actually had met you prior to this discussion. I'd come to one of your workshops. So it's really incredible to connect with you again and do it through a Zoom call this time. Thanks for joining. Oh, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for inviting me along. It's a pleasure. No worries. Okay, so let's dive right in. So the first question that I like to ask all of my guests on Just You is, what does storytelling mean to you and why is it so important? Well, um, I think that me personally, storytelling has always been part of my life. I would listen to the stories of my ancestors and uh, um, it was always such a joy to connect with them in that way. So I think it certainly provides connection. Um, but storytelling is an ancient, such an ancient tradition, isn't it? And and that's how um, we've entertained people. We've passed on wisdom and knowledge through all of those centuries. And I think it's really at the, the core of um, human communication. And I, I just, storytelling is just such an important element of being a person. And um, as a teacher librarian as well, I um, have always been surrounded by stories and just love them. Uh, and I love children's literature and I love being able to tell stories as well. So um, I think it's just, it's all of those things for me and, and that's why it's important. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. I actually read the other day that storytelling, they assume, um, has been around for around 27,000 years. So it is an ancient art, I would say. It's pretty wonderful. <laughs> it is, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, I think we, we forget how important it is in our lives. Um, you know, that's that's how we learn to communicate as well and, and how all those centuries of people have learned to communicate. 
um, in that in those oral traditions of storytelling and then eventually in print as well and uh, it's just um, you know it's just part of being human isn't it it is yeah a very big part that connects us all it's pretty wonderful mm-hmm. yeah and maybe let's discuss because you've touched a little bit on what you do in those little bits oh. of introduction there I would love for you to yeah, take the floor and, and let us know, you know, what you do currently and what your background is and how you came into storytelling. Absolutely. Well, I, I first, um, I was a, a teacher for um, for several years, a primary school teacher before I um, actually went into being a teacher librarian. So then I worked in primary and secondary schools. And while I was working um, as a teacher librarian, I was also um, reviewing children's books for a magazine called Magpies Magazine, which is a journal for uh, teacher librarians and librarians across Australia and New Zealand. So I I was constantly receiving new stories all the time and being able to share stories every day with the children that I was teaching. So I had the perfect job, really. I combined my love of teaching with a love of children's literature as well. Um, and then in 2014, my my very first book, which ironically was not for children, it was actually for adults, um, was published. And from there, uh, children's books came to be um, as well with the same publishing company. Um, and in 2017, I was uh, awarded a May Gibbs Children's Literature Trust um, Creative Time Fellowship, which, which allows you four weeks of, of creative writing time Um and at that time, um, I was allowed to work in Canberra. So I could write every day if I wanted to in the Australian War Memorial, um, which wow. is one of the settings for the book, um, my young adult novel called Follow After Me. So when I was awarded that, it was it, I also had another book coming out that year. Uh, and I realised that my job, um, which was a very demanding job, I was in charge of a, quite a, a large library, um, and my dream to become a writer was starting to bang into each other a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it comes to that point. I, I, I kind of, I completely understand that, yes. Yeah, my husband, um, who uh, had a very understanding husband, is also a teacher. We had lots of long conversations about what to do, follow the dream or stick with what I know, um, and we decided to take the risk, and um, and so I resigned from the job that I loved to um, play with words in another dimension, I suppose, and become a full-time writer. I needed to, obviously, being um, a writer in Australia, um, and I write my stories are very much based in um, in this, the sense of place of Australia. Mm. So I don't have an international audience in that respect. So our audience is quite small. Um, And so being able to make a living from that means diversifying um, initially for me. uh, And that involved um, writing articles for Magpies magazine as well. So not just reviews anymore. I started writing for Magpies Um, and also doing school visits into schools where I would be telling my story. (laughs) Yes, so doing those and and continuing to write. And then um, a couple of years after that, uh, Big Sky Publishing, who publish have published all my books, um, invited me to work with them, um, do a few casual hours a week, um, doing some consultancy work, helping other authors and doing a little bit of copywriting as well. And that role actually grew into something much bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I started doing uh, managing titles for them as well. 
So to my great joy, I, I actually now help uh, to bring other people's stories into the world. Isn't that is just, yes. yeah, that is so wonderful to just do that mm. complete, you know, shift in. You've brought your story in and you've shared it successfully and now you're helping others do exactly that. That's incredible. Yeah. Yes, it is. It, and it does bring me so much joy. And I'll tell you this little story at the moment. I'm actually working with um, a man in his 80s and it's his first novel. Um, and I worked last year on a nonfiction book that he wrote, but this is his first novel. And it's it's such an honour to work with uh, someone like that who has so much wisdom and knowledge. He's an ex-ABC journalist wow. and he's such a pleasure to work with. Uh, and I, I just feel so privileged to be able to do that and bring his stories out into the world for him at this particular point in his life. Um, yeah. I think it's very exciting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can only imagine you touched on that point, wisdom. Like, they, you know, if you got to that age, you would have so much to share, especially if you were in that industry as well. I'm sure he has some very interesting stories. Yes. And to be able to get that out and, and share that and the capacity that he's going to and then also go on to create more that's pretty incredible as well yes, wow yes it is and his writing is superb I have to say yes oh <laughs> good <laughs> that's yeah, wonderful mm. yeah and so when I met with you I was in one of your memoir writing courses or workshops rather and that workshop you touched on one of the books that I really just was captivated by when I was hearing you talk and that was about Anzac Sons and did you want to maybe talk us through what that book was and I want to say journey but I don't want to give it away that it was a bit of a journey yeah oh my you... goodness, it was a journey absolutely and that journey actually begins with my ancestors um Anzac Sons is the story of my my granddad and his four brothers and they all served in the first world war four of them in the same battalion the same company uh, and uh, this, their story actually begins back in the 1880s when my great-granddad and um, came out from uh, England and he ended up purchasing a small um, uh, settlement in uh, rural Victoria, so at a little place called Maloga, mm. which doesn't exist anymore. It's just a lonely war memorial. Uh, no. The town once existed there. And um, he and my my great-grandmother, Sarah, um, who was born on the goldfields, they had seven sons and one passed away when he was a child and the other six grew to adults, but uh, five went off to war. Now, my great-uncle Jim, who didn't go to war, um, he was the eldest, um, he had tried to enlist but was rejected because he had poor eyesight and um, he ended up inheriting the farm. Mm. Now, he never got married. And um, so in his later years, my dad, um, who was Jim's nephew, um, he would um, share farm with Jim and eventually he bought the farm when Jim left there. He was, you know, the, the house was starting to fall into a state of disrepair and, and Jim left. But when he left, he shut the doors on everything. He left the furniture in the house. He left food in the pantry. On the dining room table were letters and um, ink bottles um, and in the bedroom still had my great-grandmother's clothes hanging in the wardrobe. Oh, wow, yes. So it was just this house stuck in a moment in time um, and there was a trunk and in that trunk were hundreds of letters and postcards and photos 
and there, um, as a child, we would play in those rooms. I used to think there were ghosts there because it had that feeling. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, that oldie kind of feeling when you're yes, young. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And anyway, as it turned out, there were over 500 letters and postcards that my granddad and his four brothers had sent back from the First World War. So they were storytellers too, yeah. and they would write quite lengthy letters um, and to their family at home. Always reassuring their mum that everything was okay. Of course, oh, I everything can was only not... imagine. I can only imagine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And something I didn't say before was that um, only two of those young men who went to war actually survived. Mm-hmm. The other three were killed, and my grandfather and his twin brother were the were the only survivors. Um, but anyway, that collection was quite a find. And when I was studying at university, I had the opportunity to use some of those letters uh, in uh, well, like a minor thesis, I suppose. And I realised at that time that um, how valuable they were and that there was such a story here. And I wanted all my family members to share in this story as well, to understand what had happened to these young men. So I always had this ambition, I suppose, to write their story. Then in, um, what's it, 2001, I think it was, had the opportunity to work part-time for a little while and I started to transcribe all those letters. So here we are, we're talking now um, 30 years on from when we, we when I first wrote that, that assignment. Wow. So it was a very long period of, of thinking, you know, I'd love to do this someday. Um, and so I started to transcribe all the letters and it was into the 10th year of doing that because I went back to work full time the following year um, that uh, we went to the Western Front. And from that point on, I was able to write their story. Prior to that, I was really struggling because I had to fill in all the gaps. Because oh, all their goodness, letters the history. Yeah. 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 And uh, there was a lot of research to do. Um but anyway, we went to the Western Front. Um, my husband and I had some long service leave and we took my dad with us, which was his first trip to overseas. Um, and we took him along with us and it was such an honour to take him and to share this story with him and to walk in the footsteps of my ancestors and try to understand oh, what their letters goodness. were meaning and what yeah. it was like yeah. to walk on those battlefields and um, to visit their, their graves and to stand there and to honour them. Um, And every night while I was there, I wrote in a journal. So I told my story of the day in my journal and some of that writing actually appears directly in in the book. Uh, So uh, prior to that, I wasn't injecting my own story into uh, the writing I was doing. Um, But when I came home, I was able to do that and I was able to write with the emotion of a family member um, and to also um, capture that sense of place that I needed in the story. And I actually inject myself into spots in in the writing, in the actual book um, of of visiting um, a site where one of the young men may have been killed and what it's like there today and what it felt like to hear the skylarks that they talked about um, in their letters. Um, to stand there and look across the fields where, you know, wow. 7,000 young Australians were killed in seven weeks. Oh. You know, those those emotions that come from that um, all help to build this story and I'm sure bring it to that point where it could be published. Um, and so that's my story of bringing Anzac Sons to life and that's the name of the book. That's what we call it. 
um, Anzac Suns and uh, Big Sky Publishing. Uh, I was very, very excited when they said that, uh, when they rang me and said, we're really mm-hmm. interested in your story. <laughs> oh my gosh, and it was such a labour of love as well, like all of the history and the research and the interjection of your perception as well like that is such a huge project I can only imagine how excited they would have been when they'd seen something come through like that well I think I think the 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 collection of letters is is quite unique I think it's not unique that there were so many sons serving together and so many killed that certainly is not um but to have all those letters was so important and um I think too for me personally uh, my children, when I was in the final stages of writing the book, my children were spanned the same ages as those young men. Mm-hmm. And I felt such a deep sense of empathy with my great-grandmother and what she was going through. And some of those, the, the personalities of those young men in their letters, I could, I, I could see in my own children. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Alison, that's really cool. So there's this generational kind of connection that was happening in, in their words um, that I could also uh, relate to in my own world. Um, and that I think it made it all the more powerful. Mm. Oh, I'm absolutely going to get my mum, I know she's listening right now, to listen to this because I've been teased since the dawn of time because mm-hmm. I am a transcriber and I've been storytelling for a long time and I've been writing letters to my future children since I was about 12. Oh, and wow. I, I Yeah, and I have this book that I've had my whole life that as I've been going through life stages, I've been writing about my learnings and and whatnot with the hopes to give it, you know, at the time when I was 12, it was to give to potentially my future children. And now I have two. So now I can put their names to it. And I address them in the diary, I suppose you'd call it or a journal. But I've been begging my mother to write down, you know, any specific memories or things that really were pivotal in her life. And, and she always teases me because she's not like me at all with that sense of, of storytelling and writing through through journals and, and whatnot. But I just love the sense when you're talking about this connection that you felt with your ancestors and how reading these letters in a trunk and then witnessing your own children and their experiences and how they are in terms of their personality is connecting and just that real specialness that we have that we share with ancestors. I'm just all for it. I think it's really, really magical, yeah. really. It is. It is absolutely. And I think what you're touching on as well is um, is the power of storytelling in terms of being able to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, what you're doing is is doing exactly that. You're leaving a precious gift and you're leaving a legacy for your, for, for your children to share in. Um, and I think that um, in the books that I have written, because a lot of them are based on memory, um, even my children's picture books are based on memory, um, on childhood memories. Being able to share those stories um, is an important part of leaving a legacy behind. And uh, I think that's uh, that's part of the joy of being able to bring books into the world. Yeah, I hope that they feel the same when they, they're, oh, I'd love to give it to them on their 18th birthday. And I hope that they <laughs> feel like that. And maybe they'll take, you know, my mother's traits and be like, oh, just tell me another time. But I like to think that it's something special that you leave behind so that 
people can kind of get a bit of a different perspective on what you would have been going through at certain periods of your life. And Mm. that's clearly the case for Anzac sons and and that Mm. deep dive into their experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Certainly, there certainly was. And um, I just feel very grateful that, um, you know, that I had that opportunity and grateful that those letters were left in that trunk all those years as well. And, um, and, you know, never, they, they, I guess there were points in time when they could have been destroyed, but they weren't. And I'm, I'm just so feel very fortunate that, uh, that I had that opportunity and that their experiences brought me to this point in my life, helped me to fulfill a dream. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's full circle, isn't it? That's really mm-hmm. magical. Yes, it is. And so you touched on your publishing journey and how that went through. Can you explain a little bit more how you approached your publisher and how you sort of got the book over the line? Mm. Um, I think I think one of the most important things with um, submissions to publishers is to follow their guidelines um, and make sure that you are um, doing exactly what they say. And every publishing company will have um, submission periods, possibly, um, and uh, and particular. Um, instructions regarding style and and that I think that is an important element but also selling your work in a in a letter to them as well um, and and I, I think that's the only advice that I can give in that respect that you you really do need to follow exactly what those guidelines are it makes life so much easier for a publishing company um, even having your work edited before you send it to them, professionally edited, I know that costs money, but um, a, and a manuscript that's already been edited is is such a pleasure to read um, and it's, it's a lot easier for a publishing company to be able to manage it. Um, so I think that's another key element. I did not do that, but I did have a colleague who was an English teacher who um, who actually, uh, I guess in many ways, was my editor on, mm. on the manuscript. And uh, you should have seen it when it came back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I bet. So many tabs and pens. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in many ways I did have it um, edited in some respects. But, um, but also to listen to the publishing company because Big Sky actually, I recall them actually saying to me that we really want to publish your work, but it's, it's too large, it's too big, it's too long for the market that we have, that we're thinking of. Can you cut it by one third? Oh. So I had to go back in and start trimming. And I think that's an important element. You you do need to listen to the experts on these matters and, um, and understand that sometimes you do need to give up um, some important elements that you think work really well but don't necessarily work well. Um, and and so there's a lot of give and take, I think. In, yeah, and in I think that would be one of the key elements of having someone review your work for you and helping you determine which bits to take out because I can only imagine that you'd have quite a connection to the story and mm-hmm. it being a personal story from your family's point of view, it'd be very difficult to choose which, which parts to remove from your story. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it was quite difficult because at the time I was still wanting my my manuscript to be everything, you know. I wanted it to be that academic piece of work. I wanted it to be something for my family. <laughs> yeah. I wanted it to be for the general trade market. It can't be 
for everybody. You really do need to find that audience and be specific in your in your submission too um, about who you think your audience is. I think that's um, that's really valuable for a publishing company to understand from the outset as well. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so for someone that might be listening at home thinking that they have a story that they would like to start sharing, do you have any advice on how to get started? Mm, getting started, I think it's so important to start getting those words down. Um, I, I'm i a planner. I like to plan things. I like to know um, how my story starts. I like to know how it's going to end. Um, but I also have all these scenes in my head. Um, like when I wrote um, Anzac Sons, when I wrote uh, my novel Follow After Me, I had specific scenes that um, were not connected at the time but I just knew that I needed to write those down. Um, and then I wrote to connect those scenes and I shifted them around. So I think if you have um, those specific moments that you must write about, get those down. It doesn't matter that you're not writing in a linear order. Just get them down and um, and then later on you can connect all of that together. But I really do um, value having a plan as well about where the story will, will head to. Um, not everyone works like that, um, but it certainly works for me. Um, and I think the other thing that I would like to say for those people who um, who have that ambition, have, who really have that dream to tell their story, is is to surround yourself by people who believe in you. You've got to believe in yourself, um, but make sure that you, you're not listening to those people who might say those negative comments that, that eat away at you but everybody wants to be a writer mm -hmm. um, and you're not going to make any money doing that <laughs> you know those sorts of negative comments or you know you're sure you you're up to doing that yeah that's um, a lot of work <laughs> yeah yeah that's they're the, they're the sorts of comments that you will hear when will you get time to do that mm -hmm. um yeah if you if you feel if you feel like your story needs to be told i think that's the most important key so listen to your own voice and don't listen to to any negativity, and only listen to those positive voices that um, that uh, and surround yourself with those that really yeah. encourage you. I think. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful, Alison. I was actually going to end by asking you if you were mentoring your younger self, what would you tell her? But I really like that advice there that you just <laughs> said. Is there anything else that you would tell your younger self about stepping into her storytelling power? And I suppose, like you mentioned earlier, like going after the dream. Yes, going after the dream, um, persevering, and there are different. I think there are different ways into into your storytelling being. Um, you know, I I sort of went around and around and eventually got there. Some people launch straight into it. Um, I think that um, your pathway is your own, and I think that's an important thing. Uh, for my younger self, I would say be more organised, particularly when it involves research. Um, I think that's one of the reasons it took me so long to to actually complete Anzac Sons because there was so much research involved um, and because it was I could only do it really in school holidays and work on it then. And so um, be very methodical with that. Um, but the number one thing is believe in it. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the most important thing that I would tell myself, believe in you and... Um, and, and not listen to that negative those negative voices mm. wonderful okay Alison well thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you 
Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. And I love your, I love your podcast. They're just beautiful. So oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Chat Bye. soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. Oh, I loved that chat. It was incredible chatting with Alison. She's got so much knowledge and so many stories to share. And I just, yeah, when I met her and she was talking about her long journey through learning about history and making sure she had all of the facts correct and what her journey was through writing the story of her ancestors, I just really connected with that. I really, really have a spot in my heart for that. So it was wonderful connecting with her again. And I think it really opens up the space to talk about storytelling and its power in relationships, because ultimately that's what family are, right? Like relationships of your ancestors and the communication through storytelling in that method and what that can do for you and also who you share with through your relationships. And so, you know, let's talk about it. Like how can storytelling help you in your relationships? And relationships are fundamentally built on communication and your ability to communicate effectively to your friends and romantic partners, your family, your neighbors, your husband, and even your acquaintances. And doing this effectively can improve your day-to-day life. You know, nobody wants to have bad communication with any of those people. So when you open up and share a story with someone, it instantly connects you and particularly if they resonate, it'll help them see you in a completely new light or maybe have some sort of understanding of you that they didn't have previously. Storytelling throughout your relationships can also help you connect to the right people and build the right relationships in life. So, you know, take dating, for example, storytelling is freaking important and you want to make sure that you're expressing your story and that they're doing the same so that you're clear on the next steps and nobody likes a hidden story in dating. <laughs> and storytelling can also help you connect with your family in a way that is forever, which is what Alison was suggesting through her storytelling. You know, even when I think about my nan who's long past, I still remember the stories that she told me and stories that we shared together that I carry with me in everyday life and I share with my family and my children. And so storytelling within families is huge, even at like a one-on-one level. It's impactful and it can stick with us our whole lives. And the last bit of storytelling I'll use as an example in relationships is it can help you in your friendships. You know, people change and throughout life, your friendships come and go. But the thing that always brings you back together is the stories, you know, like the laughs, the cries, the moments in life where you've experienced something together as friends through your own lenses. And having these stories can bond you for life. Have you ever caught up with an old friend that you've maybe not seen for a while and you start relaying stories and you're laughing back to how you were 15 years ago? And a storytelling is so powerful like that in relationships. It really just sets the bond. And I think it's safe to say that storytelling in relationships can help keep memories alive and increase your bonds and just create space for understanding or learning that really can impact you forever. Okay, guys, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining the Just You podcast. Until next time.